So last week we started about the authority of Scripture, and we looked at two uh, particular passages. Uh, the first one I want us to, we're not going to go into the second one, which the second one was Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Uh, but I would like us to just kind of, for the sake of getting our minds back around what we mean when we speak about the authority of Scripture and what that means for us kind of practically, I want us to look at Second Timothy 3, uh, chapter 3, verses uh, 16 and 17. <clears throat> we looked last week at 14 through 17, but uh, just kind of to review a little bit, Second um, Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. Today we're going to be talking about uh, kind of how the church has historically viewed uh, the idea of the authority of Scripture. Um, this is going to be one of those places where we're going to find that there were some uh, evolutions along the way, and then there were some some kind of um, reverting back to the way that it was originally, and, and we're going to look at how we differ here specifically from the Catholic Church. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of different examples kind of throughout church history and, and to kind of wrap our minds around uh, how the divide came to be in our understanding as Protestants and Catholics and 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 while we would while we would claim that that we actually have a right understanding about this and what that means, so um, the significance of of this, the significance of it, I think, can be can be summed up in Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen, seventeen. Uh, speaking of scriptures, as <clears throat> all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So when we think about the authority of Scripture and what it speaks to us as we read it, the areas in our lives in which it, uh, which it affects us, kind of some broad areas in which it affects us, I think, the most. Teaching, that's teaching us about God, about God's plan, about who God is, about what God's done, what He's doing, who we are, how we fall into that. And more for reproof, that is for pointing out the areas in our lives where we fall short. Not only for pointing out where we fall short, but Scripture is also given to us <clears throat> for correction. That is to show us the way that we should live, the way that we should walk. Uh, and also for kind of if we were to probably sum all of that up, the idea being uh, that we're being trained in righteousness, uh, that we may be equipped I think something significant here for us to, to get is that all of this is not for nothing, but but that ultimately that, that Scripture is training us and equipping us for good work, right? We don't work to please God. We stand, and this is something that we would get if we look at Scripture as a whole and see what Scripture tells us, is that we stand in the righteousness of Christ, and from that we press forward being equipped by the Scriptures, being equipped by looking at who God is and who He reveals Himself to be in the Scriptures, so that we go out and do good work. Okay, so... I mentioned that this is probably not going to be a super long class. There's a couple of things that I want us to to, to kind of look at um, along the way, and and a couple of places that I want us to be aware of the potential dangers and, and, and pitfalls. So when we look historically at what the church has acknowledged about Scripture, the church has historically said, and this is throughout 
this throughout history. <clears throat> the church has historically acknowledged that the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to believe and obey the Bible is to believe and obey God Himself. I want to read. I want to read that again. So the church has historically acknowledged that the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to believe and obey the Bible is to believe and obey God Himself. The early church embraced the authority of Scripture because God, it has God as its origin. So why, is, why does Scripture speak authoritatively over our lives? Why is it, are its commands significant to us? It's because ultimately the source of Scripture is God Himself. And last week we kind of thought about this is, is that when we read Scripture and Scripture speaks to us, it is as if God were standing before us speaking directly to us. So that if Scripture commands us to do, it is God Himself commanding us to do. If Scripture commands us to refrain, it is God Himself commanding us to refrain, right? So to disobey is to disobey God. To disbelieve is to disbelieve God Himself. To obey is to obey God's commands, right? To believe is to believe the testimony of God about Himself. So when we think about this, and I want us to consider, and I most of the places when we come and and we look at kind of the historical view, uh, this is not going to always be the case. But in most cases, when we look at the history of these particular segments, what we're going to find is that at the Reformation, there was something significant that happened that we should pay close attention to. Right, so like the discussion today, we're going to be we're going to be looking at how because what I would claim is that Scripture itself uh, points us to the the uh, authority of Scripture over all things. Scripture preceded the church, so Scripture's authority is higher than that of the churches. Right? If Scripture itself existed before the church existed, right? Then the church can't claim authority over Scripture itself. So, Scripture is a higher authority than the church itself. Scripture tells the church what to do, what to believe, what to think about God. The church does not tell tell Scripture. Right? The church does not hold authority over Scripture. And, and I think that's significant because what happened is that in time... That understanding shifted in some pretty dangerous ways. But here's the reality is that there are some things that, that I would hold to today. And I think that the early church, um, the early church and the early church fathers, I think there's, and I'm going to quote a couple of different places here because I think it's significant. And they hold what I would say we should hold as far as the view about how to approach Scripture and the church's relationship to Scripture. I believe that the early church held that. But I believe that somewhere along the way, things shifted in such a way that that the that the way that I would the way that I would cl- like classify it for us to understand today is that something happened along the way to where the commentaries became equal and and then led to a po- equal in the ability to steer the hearts and minds. 
Right? So that would, the, and, and I say commentaries, and that's not exactly the way that it is, but I say that to kind of put it in the frame of mind that we would, that we would think of it today is that at some point along the way, what the church said about Scripture carried equal and then eventually greater weight than what Scripture spoke about itself. Right? To the point to which, eventually, the Catholic Church would say that the Pope could speak infallibly, right? When speaking about spiritual things, right? So after the Reformation happened, the Catholic Church actually went there, right? They actually went that far as to say, like, there was a decree that said, <laughs> that, 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 and we'll, we'll get it, we'll get into that. But that took place, so there was a there was a shift that happened somewhere along the way. So I want us to look at a couple of different um, a couple of different things that kind of like if we examine this idea of the authority of Scripture throughout history, like what did that shift look like? What can we learn from that shift? So in the, it, it began. If I had to pin it down, and I think if if most kind of historical Protestant biblical scholars were to were to pin this thing down, I think that that it would start somewhere in in this range. That that in the defense against heretical teachings, it became common practice to appeal to church authority, especially to the writings of the early church fathers. I want to re- I want to read that again. So, as the church is growing, as the church is moving out. Heretics came in. We know what heretics are, right? Those are people that, that they claim to speak truth about God, or they claim to speak truth about Christian living, about the church, about scriptures, but in, in fact they speak lies and contradiction contradictions against what, what God says in His Word, right? So heretics began to rise up in the church teaching false teachings, right? Like the wolves came in and people began listening to them. So what happens is the church begins defending against that as it should, right? As it should. And I would say that the church did it properly, right? So what the church did is as heretics came into play, as these false teachings started coming about, because what they were saying is that they were saying, hey, look, I get this from the Bible too, right? Right? Like, I'm reading the same verses that you're reading, but I'm just reading it differently. Right? I'm just reading something that you don't see there. So what the church began to say is, well, what has the church said to this historically? Right? Because that matters. Right? Because if we diverge from what the large majority of the the church behind us in time has thought about a particular thing, then we should give fault to why we differ. Right? And that's what that's what the church started doing. As heretics came up, what they would say is, Well, what have those who came before us said about this particular thing? So so that would give weight to their argument. And I think that that's a good thing, right? Like, I think that we should. That's part of the reason that we're looking towards the like how these things have evolved throughout, hopefully not evolved, but in this particular case, how they evolved through, through history and how they've come to where we are today, is that we should look back because there is value in that. Because we should consider if we believe something different in significant ways than our ancestors believed, why? Why? Especially if it was something that was held after for generation after generation after generation after generation and now we want to be novel about a thing, then we should consider what the church has historically said. 
I think that's a very good thing. Right? I think that we should approach that. Like, if you believe something, I think that it's good for you to look into your commentaries. Right? Check yourself by what good, wise, God-loving men have said. I think that's a, a good thing. Right? And that's what the early church was doing. So as they were defending the faith, they were relying on those who had came before them, and they would say, well, this is what this particular church father said, or this is what this particular church father said. So, so we align ourselves with that. Right? Like, we believe the same thing. You're the heretic because you are diverging from that particular truth. Right? They're saying, this is what the church has always taught. Why are you now believing something different? That's kind of how heresies were identified and how they were addressed, right? So what the church would say towards Scripture mattered, right? What, what wise men would say towards Scripture mattered. There was a, there was a weight, and, a, and I would say an appropriate weight that was given to that. But in time, that shifted, right? In time, that shifted. And there were some, there were some key places along the way where that happened, but it's, it was a slow type, type change, right? And I think that's why I would say, like, script, like, we need to be very clear when we say where the ultimate authority lies, is that it lies in Scripture. Love John MacArthur, but it does not lie in him. Love John Piper, but it does not lie in him, right? They can give you understanding about Scripture, but their authority of what they speak is only authoritative in as much as it aligns with Scripture itself. Scripture is the highest authority. Right? Not any particular preacher, no matter how wise he might have been. Right? So that, that was the thought of the early church. Right? And we can see that actually. So one thing that I want us to one, one thing that I want us to get. So as they were defending, it was not intended to deprive the scripture of their rightful place. Instead, it was intended to provide support for true doctrine because it was something that the church had always embraced. Do y'all get what I mean by that? That's kind of a trying to summarize what I, what I said there. I'm going to say it again. So as they were using appealing to the authority of the church, as the early church was doing this, it was not intended to deprive the scriptures of their rightful place but instead to provide support for true doctrine because it was something the church had, had always embraced. So as this as this kind of as the church progresses in time throughout history, uh, there were different um, men who would speak wise words that I think that we should reflect back to, um, Thomas Aquinas being one of those. So in the Middle Ages, or in the time in which the church was becoming more and more established, um, the time that it's starting to evolve towards what we kind of see as, 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 as a church that has a powerful impact in the world, right? Like the Catholic Church had uh, an, an immense impact on the world around it. So in the early stages of this, there was a man, uh, Thomas Aquinas, um, and he had this he had this to say, and I want us to, to look at a couple of different things that he points out. So the, and, and this is going to sound like this is going to sound kind of high minded in, in, in some senses, but let's let's realize that this was a long time ago. So um, 
so theology proper use properly use this is what he says theology properly uses the authority of canonical scriptures as an incontrovertible proof and the authority of the doctors speaking to the that's here when he speaks of doctors he's speaking of those men studied in the word and the authority of the doctors of the church as one that may properly be used yet merely as probable so what is he say, what is he saying there? He continues this he continues this thought a bit. He says, For our faith rests upon the revelation made to the apostles and prophets who wrote the canonical books, and not on the revelations, if any such there are, made by the other doctors, or those men who are studied in God's Word. Another way that this could be said is that Holy Scripture is the rule of faith against which no authority may be admitted. So this Thomas Aquinas was in the, he was he lived in what we would consider to be the early Middle Ages, and we see that he's still supporting the same idea that Scripture is where the authority lies, that there is value in in listening to those who are learned in the Scriptures, right? But that what they speak does not hold the same authority that Scripture holds, right? So in the in the kind of progression of the church throughout time, we see at various places where they continue this train of thought, this idea that there's value in looking back on what the church has to say, what learned men in Scriptures have to say about Scripture itself, but that Scripture is always the highest authority of truth. Right? So, in time, we press on further and further into this. What we find is that at the latter part of the medieval period, this is this is pre-Reformation um, time, right? The Reformers have not come about yet, but in the latter part of the medieval period, there's a couple of ideas that began to surface. That if we look at at at, at, te- at the teachings of the church, at teachings of individuals, like Tom, like we were looking at Thomas Aquinas, well, there are equivalents of Thomas Aquinas throughout church history. And if we were to look at those, at the teachings and the evolution of those teachings, we threw we see three um, broad categories in which there, there, there begin these evolutions of thought about the authority of Scripture. One of those categories um, is that the, that the church's authority, um, or from the church's authority, the canonical books derive their power of authority. So that's a complete shift. I want us to make note that when I re- I'm going to read that again, but note that what we've been saying is that Scripture holds authority over the church, and what we find is that, it, that, that that flips on its head. The thought process that Scripture holds authority over the church flips in time. Now this is long after the church is, is established, right? We're talking about hundreds of years, and now the church flip-flops, Right? Now the church begins flip-flopping in its thoughts. That where, where, where all the generations before them would have said that Scripture holds authority over the church, now these, these ideas where we're relying on what men say about Scripture, that begins to, to become the highest authority in, in people's minds. So uh, it, it eventually goes so far that now the church sees itself as having authority over Scripture itself and that the power of Scripture derives its power from the power of the church. Right, So that's one of the key areas in which during the, the Middle Ages we find the church's thought process about Scripture 
and the authority of Scripture shift. So another uh, another change that has the truth has also come down to us from the apostles by word of mouth. Okay, so now we find ourselves in a place where the church sees itself as having authority over Scripture, right? And we also find where the church begins saying, oh yeah, yeah, by the way, I know that there were things that are, that are said in written Scripture, but did you know there were things that were passed down by word of mouth, right, to the bishops? Right? Do you know that there's the, you didn't know, you you may know about scripture, but you may not have known about this. But there has been a word of mouth progression, passing on truths that are not written down in scripture. It's only been passed on by word of mouth, and it's only a secret thing that we know. Right? Like that's the that's the shift that began to happen is is that there's truth outside of scripture that holds the same authority as scripture. You just didn't know about it because you weren't in the know, right? Now you're in the know because I'm telling you. Do we see the shift? Do we see what began to happen there? Do we see the danger in that? That that now we go from this one place where we draw truth from to now I have secret hidden knowledge that I can give to you that you did not have access to before. And this is what, so, so these things start kind of building on each other, right? The, the idea that the church holds authority over scripture, the idea that there are, that, that there's the secret word of mouth, um, revelations that have come down, and then a third thing, that special revelation could and would be made to the Catholic Church, right? I want y'all to, to follow, so, so we've got the church's authority over scripture, We've got special revelation that's been passed down by word of mouth, right? And and here's the the third piece of that is that now we expect that to these men who have this secret knowledge that new special revelation could come, right? 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 And this has not happened often in the Catholic Church, but it has happened in the Catholic Church. Right? To where now the Pope could. And 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 I think that many of them at least realize that this that to that to lay this claim is a high claim. But the Pope could lay claim that God gave him something else to add and now the Catholic Church also has the doctrine of the infallibility of the Pope, which would make that in line with, equal to Scripture itself. Right? Yeah, so, and, and that's why I think as the church has established, as these trains of thought came into play, there was power there. Right? There was no written Bible like we all take for granted that we have a written Bible we can read that in, you know, like the Church of England, like there before that, and I would say, and I would say that one of the major, one of the major triggers to the Reformation was that that began to shift. That more and more could get their hands on Scripture, more and more could read and understand that Scripture in their language, and when they read it, God spoke to them. And and the Protestant Reformation bloomed out of that, right? 
So that's kind of that's kind of the the, the chain of events that, that kind of took place to get to this point to where and I think in many ways the Catholic Church is there and I think they doubled down in in some pretty major ways, uh, especially when we when we look at, at the the infallibility of the Pope um, and and what the Catholic Church says there. So. In the Reformation, let's get to the Reformation. So, when the Reformation came about, one of the major one of the major banners that was waved by the reformers is a is a phrase called sola scriptura. That means Scripture alone, and they went back to that idea that it is Scripture alone that holds the highest authority over us. Scripture alone that gives us the commands for how we are to live, and everything else is subject to Scripture. Word, right? So the church does not speak with authority over Scripture. The church does not, cannot speak some secret hidden word that has now come to be. No man, because the the work of Scripture, and this is what we talked about in, in a previous class, is that Scripture Scripture grew through redemptive history. Right? Scripture grew at major milestones in God's work to bring about redemptive history for us. The pinnacle of which was the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. And out of that comes the New Testament. We expect no other word because the Scriptures are closed and we have sufficient knowledge of who God is and what God has done. So we do not expect, should not expect, new revelation, new secret revelation. Right? So yeah, so in, and 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 not just there because in the, yeah yeah yeah. So there's a yeah like the the apocrypha and 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 in that like like a lot of the like a lot of the places where there were particular traditions in the Catholic Church where they could find support within the apocrypha for it. That that's kind of all of that was response to the Protestant Reformation, right? Like the like like bringing those in officially into the canon was response to what the reformers were saying, right? Like the Reformation is one of the most significant events in church history. Like we are here today because of that, and it's important for us to understand that. So one of the things that I want us to kind of and we'll close we'll kind of close out with this with this thought is that it's good that we look to the history of the church when we wrestle with our understanding of Scripture, right? It's good that we look. And when we examine particular beliefs, it's good that we say, well, what has the church believed about this, right? What have wise men who've come before me said to this particular thing? Right? It's good for us to do that. It's wise for us to do that. It's, I would say it's a grace that God has given us. And one of the major things that the church should do well is carry on wise teaching throughout the generations. But it can never hold authority over Scripture itself. Right? And I think that's one of the, like, when I think about what happened during the Reformation, 
And I think about the mindset that these men lived in during these times. Like the like like this was for us. It's something that we, like we get. Like of course it should be. But think about if you were in a culture where it was the opposite of that. Right? Think about how much of a stand it was for them to stand against an established church. Excommunication for many, most, if not all, of them. Right? Yes. Like immense persecution for the reformers. Right? And yet they stood... Because they believed Scripture spoke clearly about who God was. And they believed that, it, that in many ways the church had shifted its focus. Right? So we, we as Baptist Church here at Mount Carmel, come in that stream of thought. Right? Like we were birthed out of that. So I think that that's one thing that we should always cling to. Like when when we say scripture alone, like that is a hill to die on for us, right? Where do we find truth? Scripture alone speaks truth to us, and we're going to find there's a couple of places like the five solas. We'll cover them as we as we progress through this. The five places that we're going to kind of look at, and it's going to take us a while because some of them are a little bit farther down the way, but but Sola Scriptura is one of those five. Scripture alone speaks truth to us about who God is and what God's done. And we're going to see grace fall in there. We're going to see Christ fall in there. Like there's going to be like, like, there's going to be some pretty big ones. But those, all of those thoughts... We're, we're pushing back to what the reformers were saying. The church has gone astray. And they wanted reform. They didn't want a new church. They wanted the church to be reformed. That's why we call it the Reformation even today. Like, we should desire that our Catholic brothers and sisters come to the realization that in many areas, they differ in places that are eternal in consequence. Eternal in consequence. So we'll kind of close after the Reformation. Um, today we found ourselves uh, where, where the authority of Scripture finds itself um, kind of uh, at odds with even the reality of of the truthfulness and trustworthiness of Scripture, and and that's why we spent time, kind of a couple of weeks back, looking at um, at the the fact that Scripture uh, is is inerrant and without falsehood, because that's where one of the attacks from the authority of Scripture in modern times finds itself rooted, is that it says that Scripture has falsehood. If it has falsehood, then it can't speak authoritatively to our lives. So um, we'll close with that.